0: peace of the Lord be with you. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, we come to you asking for your words and your wisdom to come and fill our hearts, Lord, with a comfort and a grace in times of trouble. Teach us therefore from your scriptures, Lord, and use this vessel for your glory. As we ask and we pray, In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Today we're covering Job 16, um, the three uh, miserable, if you want to call them, miserable comforters, uh, the name that Job uh, ascribes to them. after One after the other, they have uh, effectively sat next to him and started pouring out uh, their or blame or their accusations against him. I wonder if you know their names. Uh, do you recall their names? You find it in uh, Job chapter two. At the end of chapter two, it says there that three of his friends came. Uh, their names: uh, Eliphaz the build uh, Bildad the Shuhite. Uh, this is verse chapter tw- uh, chapter two, verse eleven. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar uh, the Naamathite. There is a fourth person, and his name is Elihu. Elihu appears in chapter 32, or somewhere along as the three are basically pouring out their um, uh, arguments against Job, trying to convince Job you did something wrong uh, in the past that caused this kind of thing. Uh, Elihu and you know Elihu. Uh, decides he can't stand it anymore in chapter 32 he chips in now i did mention last week uh, when we were talking about this question of am i my brother's keeper Uh, that the actual answer to that question is yes and uh, to that extent jesus came and uh, called us in twos and threes to be together where two or more are gathered in my name i will be with them And so one of the things that uh, we encounter here is friends uh, encourage each other in times of difficulty and strife, but how do friends respond in times of grief? How do friends respond to each other in discipleship? And I wanted to play a clip that a friend of mine had sent to me, uh, Pastor Ernest. He's the pastor, or Reverend Ernest is the pastor from Bayan Baru. And uh, sometime in May, they're conducting a a GDI, a Global Discipleship Initiative. So we sent this video, which I wanted to to play, and show you and talk about what does discipleship have to do uh, in this particular scene of accountability and friendship.
1: from the west coast of the United States. My name is Greg Ogden, and I have the privilege of being with you in Penang, Malaysia, for a conference called Turning Your Church into a Disciple-Making Mission. I will be there along with Ralph Rittenhouse, who is my co-partner in this ministry called Global Discipleship Initiative. It's our mission to train and equip churches around the world to be disciple-making churches. The number one question we get in our ministry is, but how? How do you go about making disciples? Well, this conference we're going to plant some seeds that we trust will flourish in your congregation. We use a tool or a method called a microgroup, a group of three or four people, and whom journey together over a period of about a year, who then are equipped to disciple others. And so this is the approach that we take. We will unpack three essential elements that your church will need becoming a successful disciple-making church. So we look forward to being with you in this conference and sharing this with you. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to serve a church where people had Jesus at the center of their lives, There were some motivated to follow him, and they were equipped to disciple others. Think in terms of the legacy that you will be.
0: So that's happening March, sorry, I, my apologies, uh, not May, March. March 26, 27, 28, and it's in Bayan Baru. It's our sister Methodist Church, Chinese Methodist Church. I'm hoping to take a few friends who might want to go along. But you recall last week I mentioned uh, three, two, one, right? Three friends, two hours, once a month. Um, And I'd like you to think through this equation uh, which many leaders have put together. If discipleship is a journey together with Jesus uh, then that journey requires accountability and friendship along the way. Uh, If you're not intentionally making disciples, maybe go and attend this course and figure out what needs to happen. Find two or three others, uh, go to this particular Facebook page or the website and you can register there. It's uh, nearby, eh? no need to fly all the way to the west coast of America, I although I think some of you would rather fly there than, than take a drive down. Uh, that's one thing. Now, <clears throat> I am instead going to deal with one of the things that accountability groups should avoid doing. Okay? It's very easy when you come together uh, that you ought to encourage each other, you party with each other. But what Job demonstrates in the difficulty of life together is when you begin to have this uh, toxic blame game. The three of them take turns to basically, you know, machine gun uh, Job and say, you must have done something, how can you basically say God is like this, 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 this. Because Job's argument is, uh, initially he says to himself, I wish I were not born. You know, uh, why, why was I even brought into this world to suffer? It's a terrible thing to be hemmed in by God. And so, I thank God that the book of Job is in the Bible. <laughs> Because it gives us a proper understanding and theology of God that God is not all this whole idea of believe in Him, trust in Him, everything is rosy. Uh, No, Job particularly presents a counter-argument, a presentation of God uh, that is very sobering. In fact, Job's problems occur because God decides to point out, is there anyone like Job? And the devil says, oh, skin on my teeth. If you let go of him and let me do what I want to do with him, he's going to turn. And God's answer is, okay, let's try this out. There's a wager that's going on between God and the devil. And so the source of all the problems that are occurring to Job is not from God, but God does allow it. And it is the devil who is inflicting all these issues to him. And Job is helpless. But worse than helpless is that his three friends decide to come and park themselves next to him and then one by one start blaming him, accusing him, holding on still to the theology that if you do what is right and true, surely goodness will happen to you. If you are right and pure. Now, there are only three people in the Bible described by the Bible as righteous. Do you know who they are? <clears throat> only three. Okay, so the first one is Noah. Right? Uh, the second one, Daniel. And the third one, Job. Only these three people are described in the Bible as righteous they fear the lord now i wish that by the time i end my life someone can put on my gravestone he was righteous and feared the lord those two things describe a huge you know uh, iceberg underneath it and so here's job a righteous man who rightly fears the lord and yet he is encountering problems and suffering and death And destruction and uh, you know total removal of his well-being so much so he's just you know if you look at the front cover of your bulletin you see that small little uh, thing uh, at the bottom there that's a piece of pottery or a piece of uh, stone you recall the description that he broke out in sores and then he had to use this uh, pottery or stone to basically scrape his skin Now, that's really, uh, if you have a skin condition, you understand what that feels like. It's really frustrating. You're just oozing uh, and you're in pain through the night. You can't sleep properly. So he, when he says it, you know, I am hemmed in. I wish I was never born. I am utterly cursed. He's down in the dumps and he doesn't know why. Now, it's not to say that he's perfectly sinless because the only person who was sinless was Jesus. But as far as the people understood in terms of the way he lived his life, he was righteous and good. Now, that ought to reshape and realign your theology. Especially if we go around thinking, such and such person, uh, something happened to their family uh, all fighting uh, must be something in their karma. And I go to, to market, you know, sometimes uh, you hear the people talk, uh, ah, bad karma. <laughs> something your ancestors did. <laughs> something you did. something All this, you know, generational or past. People would like an easy equation that whatever is happening to you is a tit for tat. You did this to God, this happened to you. Job is a direct contradiction to that. God himself described Job as, is there anyone like him? Upright, fears the Lord, righteous servant. The only other description that surpasses that is what Jesus is. As far as God describes Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? So we have this. And what happens with these three are uh, three people who come. To a person who's already at the pit of depression at the bottom of, of the well where he is and they heap more accusations against him. Now I ask you, in your relationships and in our standard way of uh, you know, Asian pragmatism, your problem is because you da 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 or how many of us have never resisted the urge to say, I told you so? You don't listen to me, what to do? You like that? Tit for tat. And it's almost like pouring acid or vinegar on that person. So those are types of accountability relationships and relationships which we need to say, please avoid doing that now let me read verse one to six verse one to six job replied i have heard many things like these you miserable comforters all of you the three of them had taken turns and will your long-winded speeches never end (laughs) panjang very long speech never end what ails you that you keep on arguing I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you, shake my head at you, but my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Then comes this verse, verse 6. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved, and if I refrain, it does not go away. This is where Job is. Job is in a situation where even if he speaks, It's no comfort to him. His pain is still there. His skin condition is there. His loss is still there. And some of us may feel like, you know, talk, talk, cry, cry. Get it out of your system. But in his case, there is no relief. And if he keeps quiet, also no relief. Okay? So you you begin to enter into his utter despair and his utter grief. So let me put across to you this narrative is given to us to present what not to do okay that as these three people are doing this is please don't be like them la. don't be like them when somebody's suffering and all that you go and sit there and watch the person uh, this one huh? <laughs> yeah you go going think through your life la. maybe you did something so let your words be few and if you are going to say anything, let it be an encouragement and a comfort. In fact, uh, more often than not, don't don't even ask what can I do for you. Now, um, as a pastor, I go around, and of course, I'm I'm uh, you know companion to many people who are going through grief. One of the worst, one of the most uh, pointless questions that people will ask is, you know. Uh, you need any help, say lah. And you go to the house, you see, you know, things are in a mess. The house has not been cleaned. The dishes are in the sink. A uh, person is like, you know, mind all crazy. The kids are, are all running all over the place. And If you put yourself in your shoes and you are running a household, you would know what needs to happen. And so rather than say, you tell me, what you would like me to do for you, why don't you suggest, I'm going to come and clean the dishes for you. I hope that's alright with you. Or I'm going to come and bring this, this, this. Sort out your meal plan for the day. The best thing, right, for families, especially when they have children, is let me pick up your kids and make sure they go to school, and when they come back, feed them. And then whatever things happen, go. And so... The ministry is, in a way, what you want to respond to. It is only in this also where we ask the question, it's often when we encounter pain, right, we ask, where is God? Where is God, right? And Job doesn't hear God. He cries out to God and he says, why? What have I done? Why have you done this to me? Why? And there's no reply. And what's worse is that the friends there are saying, God is not happy with you. You must have done something. Now, why this is terrible is because when people ask, where is God in the presence of pain, the answer should be, God is present in the hands, the feet, and the voice of those who have come alongside. When the tsunami happened in Aceh, And people ask, where is God in the midst of it? God was in the midst of the people who flew all the way from everywhere, bringing and stopping and dropping everything, came to help. Because when the people see what they're doing, they see the face of God, the fingerprints of God, the hand of God working through these people. You are the body of Christ. And so when people ask, where is God? The body is here, the mind is also here through us. And by our actions and our presence, we exercise this ministry. So, in a way, my my challenge to you is, um, would you be few of words? Rather than talk about why this happened, which is what uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, Elihu Uh, Zohar, Zohar, this is why, 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 why. They're they're geniuses. The blame game is this happened because that why. Rather than focus on why, your response should be, now what? You are in this situation, now what do I do to comfort you, to provide relief for you? Not what. Not why, but what now? So our response as people of God is, what now? What can I do to help you? And by my actions, show that God is present in your midst. So the first one is, what now? And act on that. But the second one is, practice the ministry of presence. And the ministry of presence is that you are there and you are grieving with them. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We grieve with those who grieve. And it is a a shared companionship of just being there with the people, even in the silences. Now, my second point is... I want to make this point that Job accuses God of violence against him. You read in verse 7 to 17, uh, particularly verse 9, God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. These are three verbs in the Jewish language that describes God's violence against him. Now, some of you may say, how dare he? How dare he do this to God? But is he describing what is true? Now, if if a father slaps the son, and the son says, you are hitting me, is the father going to say, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you say that I hit you? But he did. And so, Job is very honest in his response to God, It's what we call sober judgment. It is a true representation of what is happening. Now, why is this the case? It's because sometimes people are very deluded about what is going on in their life. They cannot process the fact that God is doing this because they have held on to a very sentimentalized, romanticized idea of God as God is as gentle as the waves. When he walks on the ground, nothing dies under his feet. It's a, it's a figment of their imagination. They're unable to process the truth that a disaster has happened and God has allowed it to happen. But I also want to give this to you because here is Job, a man who is righteous, who fears God, who speaks honestly to God about, Oi! <laughs> you've done this to me. And because he's honest with that, he's not pulling the punches, he's being very authentic and broken before God. He's not pretending. He's very real before God. Which is a cry to our fellow brothers and men and women. Can you be honest with yourself with God? I have friends Who cannot pray to God because he says I cannot talk to God why Uh, because I cannot say what I feel why I don't know I don't think I can do that well here's an example Job is very honest with God about how he feels look at the Psalms the Psalms also have oh God my heart blows up in anger, against frustration against what is Why do you allow evil men to do this to good people? Very honest. And so in your grief, will you allow people to rant and rail against God? Because it's real to them. And in a way, that's how they feel. You forgive them for it because that's where they are at and you allow them to wrestle and fight with God. He can take it, okay? <laughs> he can take it. And you understand where they're coming from. Job presents to us an honesty and a transparency of the pain that he is facing, and he describes what is happening to him in words that reflect his reality to God. And God doesn't destroy him with a zap of the lightning or whatever. In fact, at the end of it, he says, Job has not sinned before me. And Job has to make an offering in order for the three, four friends so that they would be forgiven for falsely accusing God and also falsely accusing Job. (coughs) But in all of this remember what job is at he says my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure so he comes before god searching his heart, and he says i've not done any violence to others and it's a situation that we confess our sins to god and he is just and righteous to forgive but it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen So please, please, please get it out of your system uh, that whatever happens to you is not you know, because of something sway or your own very bad or whatever. It's not a situation where we learn in our culture, you hit this way, the other side will shokana. It's not. Bad things do happen. God does allow it. He is sovereign. And in some extent you will never know the extent of your faithfulness until it is tested by pain and suffering and in the case of job he had to go through that but when you go through that if you're a friend sit with them encourage them comfort them give them relief be present in your pain don't try and explain and figure out and equate that and Let them be honest and transparent about their pain. You shouldn't be the ones like this uh, three when Job says these things about God, then these three jump in and say, how can you say that about God? You are the one who's a worm, who's the evil one. How can you say that about God? But it's evidence from this that Job is, my hands are free of violence and my prayer is pure. And we have this promise from God that all who are sinful, who comes before God and in true repentance will receive forgiveness if you come in repentance. Then, verse 18 to 21. Our intercessor is our friend. Let me read this. Uh, and it's, it's a very comforting verse. <clears throat> Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Now, this is a throwback to Abel. You know, last week I talked about Abel, whose blood is spilled onto the ground, and God says, Abel's blood cries out to me. And so here is Job saying, my blood is innocent. And if I'm going to die, and my blood is poured out on this earth, let my blood be a testimony and cry out to God. do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to less. And then verse 19, even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high. Now, commentators wrestle and argue, who is he talking about? Is he talking about God? But God is the one who is inflicting him with this. And other people who, who, who argue about this say uh, uh, maybe it's, it's uh, the council of angels. Whatever it is, when we look upon this from hindsight of Jesus, post-Jesus, when we read this, we know who we are talking about. My witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Who is this? Jesus. That when he died on the cross and became our mediator, our propitiation, our our sin offering, he now sits at the right hand of God. He is our friend. He intercedes for us. He mediates for us. On behalf of us, pours out tears. Why? Because he knows the suffering that we go through. Why? Because he himself has gone through this suffering. Dare we be like that? That in all the calamities that all our friends go through, we are that faithful friend who is an intercessor, who will cry with tears before God, who will intercede. There's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that says, you know, I will carry you to Jesus. <laughs> he is everything you need. You know, when we do not know what else we can do to comfort a friend who is going through grief, the one thing you can assure them and that you can do, is says, I will carry your pleas and your desires to God. He is the only thing that I know that can answer you. And will you come to God in that? This word, these are the words that are described in verse 18 to 21. Cry, bear witness. This is what's happening. Be an advocate. An advocate means I am standing before God, you know, and and I'm I'm interceding for, for you as your defender. Oh Lord, pray for this person. Honours you desires to do good for you, has all these things for you. Be an intercessor and one who pleads before God. Please, don't be the one who, when you have all these prayer requests, okay, praying for you, and then forget all about it. Don't even know who you're praying for and just give all these uh, cursory responses. I will pray la. No. If you're going to say you're going to pray, pray. Actually do it. Stop there and pray and intercede for that person. So let me end with this three. <clears throat> I wish that you know that in the moments of grief, let your words be few, let them be encouraging and let them be in comfort. Now a few times right we have I mentioned this word comfort. Comfort is a characteristic of God. Not not comfort as in comfortable, comfort as in when you are assailed in difficulty and trouble, someone comes alongside and says, I am with you, I will help you. And where you cannot stand, I will sustain you. The Holy Spirit is another comforter. Who is the first comforter? Jesus. And so the moment you enter into a ministry of grief, as in a grief observed and a grief experienced together, you are exercising the characteristic of God. That God comes alongside those who are broken-hearted, who are in discomfort. And I, I really want to give thanks. Our church has a group of people whom I every time I go to a wake service I go to uh, uh, when I conduct a wake service in a, in a home sending I see regular friends who are there even when they don't know the person I know they don't know the person because these people are strangers we do some of these funerals for people who are not members of our church in, their, in the wake area we do it there because they ask my parent was a Christian but we don't know who to ask can you do this And in spite of this unfamiliarity, they go. They comfort the family. They shake their hand and say, my condolences, and they're there. Let your words be few. Let them be encouraging and comforting. Now, in case, uh, this is a bit of an aside, in case some of you feel, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so is in a better place, that's not always encouraging. Those words aren't always encouraging. If the person says so, then okay. But there are times when the person, when you say to the person, you know, uh, that person is no longer suffering and they're in a better place, uh, it sometimes doesn't help that person at all. They are feeling the loss. Okay? So what is encouraging, what is comforted, I acknowledge that from your grief, you really love this person that the emptiness that it leaves behind is a big, vast emptiness. And I'm here to observe that grief with you and acknowledge the value and worth of that person in your life, okay? Too many words lah, but I'm here. Be present. Okay, so being present and becoming uh, empathizing. Empathize is different from sympathy, eh? Uh, My empathy is I feel your pain. Be present and mourn with those who mourn. Be willing to basically shed a tear. Meaning that it's meaningful. Now for some people this is difficult. Because when they cry means they really cry. It's a part of them that breaks. Uh, I think some doctors do this that then they really care, they really care. And when a patient is lost, they break also, a part of them breaks. Uh, pastors also sometimes go through this. When members of the flock go, a part of them also sometimes breaks with it. God heals. My <laughs> third one, <clears throat> cry, intercede, lament, wail. Be honest and transparent in your pain and speak to god he's the only one who understands and he's the only one who can truly comfort you don't run away and say this is not dignified this is not right no there is no dignity in death there is no harm in crying out and letting out your pain before god i pray that our church community will be one that is encouraging and will reflect the nature of God as a comforter, one who comes alongside those who are heartbroken. And let me say that this is not restricted to only Christian. I mean, we like to, I mean, you Christian, okay, you kakilanga, I come. I observe this grief with you. No. God weeps over the death that comes over all the world. So. Uh, Malay friend, Indian friend Chinese friend, whichever religion whichever race there is no harm in comforting them and being with them our difference is we know that God is there with us and he intercedes and carries us and he meets us in the valley of the shadow of death for theirs their despair is even deeper for many let us pray Dear Lord, you call us to be your disciples, to follow you in your footsteps. And you reminded us, Lord, that you were a comforter to your disciples, attending to their fears, their anxieties, their heartbrokenness, and their sin Lord help us likewise to be comforters to others within the body of Christ and also outside of the body of Christ let us through our actions reflect the very nature and character of God by our actions there are a comfort and a relief unto others Lord far be it Lord forbid that we would ever be miserable comforters. Teach us instead, Lord, to practice empathy, to be able to be silent in the grief and to be willing to shed tears and share in the mourning and the grief. Knowing, Lord, in all of this, you are the God of comfort and the God of hope that gives us the ability to walk alongside those who walk through the valley of the shadow. Grant us this blessing, Lord, we pray and ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.